Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Okay, I can see that you're still reeling from the message last week. That's great. Still all scared for your lives or what? A little scared? Anybody scared? Jay, are you scared? No, Jay, Jay Parr's not scared of much. But there's much afraid of Jay Parr, I can tell you that right now. Men with beards like that don't, don't get messed with very often. The title of today's message is, What You Building? You have to say it exactly like that, otherwise I'll be disappointed. Okay, young adults crowd, say the title, please. I like how Danita answered. <laughs> She's a young adult still. You look pretty, actually, you do look pretty young. Okay, try it again. Uh, young adults over here. What's the title of the message? What you building? No, you building. No, that's not what I said. What you building? You kind of got to have that annoying voice going on. How about this side of the church? What's the title today? Oh, th- very good. Somebody nailed that. That's Alicia, I think, nailed that. It's really, like, really aggravating sounding voice. That's my sister-in-law. <laughs> it, it's aggravating because of the way she did it, not because of the way she is. Let me be clear on that, okay? All right? And, and those of you who know her know how true that is. Uh, yeah, what you build it. That's the, that's the title of the message today. And I want to just, just zip back in time with me, if you will, to last week. Uh, where we talked about being a builder, uh, that God is looking for someone to build a house, a place of rest for him, and he's looking to you and I specifically. The qualifications are not what you might have thought. There's no degrees, no stamps, nothing like that. He looks to the one who is humble, contrite, his spirit trembles at his word, Isaiah chapter 66, verses 1 and 2. And so I invite you to continually review this. In fact, if you're going to get a Bible verse tattooed on you, maybe Isaiah 66, 1 and 2 is a good one to do. And you can see Danita at Tattered Lace leading sponsor of Generations Church Building Fund. She's, she wasn't paying attention, so she has no idea what she's on the hook for now. But she's like, I'll take the advertising. I, I think that if you listen to me and got tattoos of every Bible verse, I think, you know, if I was going to get a Bible verse tattoo, like our whole bodies would be covered in Bible verses in no time at all. And uh, even if it was really little script. And, uh, but here's, here's a reality I want you to think on. Whether you realize it or not, whether you believe me or not, whether you think this way or not at this point in time, here is the reality you should think on. You are always building something. This is a profound truth. This is, this is reality. You are always building something. Even if you think you're, well, no, I just, Pastor Trav, everywhere I go, this is like Daryl Mayer. I think he's here. This way. This is, he's like, no, wherever I go, I'm tearing stuff down, which isn't really true of Daryl. But I just feel like he'd be the guy who'd be like, ah, oh, contrarily, this is what I do. And no, I'm going to say this morning that no matter who you are, no matter what you think you do, you're always building something. You can't help it because that's what God actually designed us to do. We are always building In this life, for as long as we live it, we are building a habitation for God. We can't help but do that because we were designed to be a habitation. And we're going to do that for either God or our gods. God having a capital G, gods having little g. You are always going to be building a habitation for something. And if you don't believe me, just stop and engage your prefrontal cortex right now. And consider... All the people around you, you yourself, in your life, you're always building something, and the something you are building is either for God or for the gods who are in your life. And that might be offensive for some of you, but by the end of this message, you're going to agree with me that thank God that there are offensive things. Because if it wasn't for offensive things, we wouldn't have Jesus 
Yeah, more on that in a moment. We are always going to be building. We are capable builders. We are designed by God to be capable of sheltering and nurturing all sorts of things, relationships, people, ideologies. In this day and age, I see people building a habitation for ideology more than anything else. No action, just ideology. The social justice movement can be summed up in in this, that it is no action and all ideology. Well, that's not true. People do march in the streets. I have never seen marching in the streets feed the homeless. You know what gets the homeless fed? People going in the streets not to march, but to feed the homeless. Oh, right. See, it is that practical. And we do need to be that pragmatic. We need to be that painfully, obviously involved in our world when it comes to our action. And so the habitations that we build ought to reflect action and not simply ideology or philosophy. And there's just too many people in the world, God help us, there's too many people in churches who are thinking that they can build ideological strongholds that are somehow going to impact this world, but they won't. They will not change the world. Because the world is changed by a person. And by his people. So some people build platforms to stand on. As a church planter, this is the dichotomy that we had to wrestle with. Because we literally planted a church and we literally built a platform so that I could preach off of it. I'm not talking in the literal sense. I'm talking in the literal metaphoric sense. You understand? This position that I hold is a platform through which I could share my opinions, my ideologies for sure, which I appreciate Paul Gurney understanding how restrained I am in sharing my ideologies with you. Maybe I feel like sometimes he's the only person that knows that. That if I were to unshackle myself from, from good sense as a pastor, my gosh, you would see a redneck that you have never seen before. It would be, it would be, it would be incredible for some of you and scary for others. Uh, but because we're not called to build a platform for an ideology. We're called to build a platform to preach Jesus. Right? And so we're, we're called to build a platform to promote the church. We're called to build a platform to promote the vision and God's intention for our place in our community, how he wants to change the world with us and through us. But a lot of people want to come and join the success of a church, and they want to build their own little platforms. And I, I'm pretty quick to push them off. Honestly, we are. Because, and hear this, please. It's because we love you. Here's the problem with building platforms is very often people don't realize that a platform also has a gallows. Have you anybody watch any old westerns? You either get hung because they chased the horse out from after you or they built a gallows and on the, the gallows, under the gallows, there's a platform. And I find in my 20-some years of full-time ministry now that uh, more often than not I see people swinging from the gallows on the platform that they built. In all kinds of positions, somebody who wanted to volunteer something in kids' ministry, someone who, who started a church, took over a church, someone who makes $200,000 a year, a million dollars a year, it happens all the time. And the reason for that is because, well, they're building on the wrong foundation, on the wrong way, on the wrong person, with the wrong, with the wrong, uh, with the wrong ruler, with the wrong, wrong string line, the wrong measurements. Some people build shelters. You say, well, that's a good thing to build shelters. Well, a certain kind of shelter it certainly is. But they build 
But they, they, they build shelters and high guarded walls that prevent anyone from coming anywhere near. And some of those people who build those shelters are like the, the men who went to the Tower of Shechem and the place they thought would be a fortress to protect them became their tomb. Some people build shelters and it's little more than a cave dug in the side of a dirt hill where loneliness and death are all that result from that sort of building. The reality is this. The righteous build on good works. The alcoholic builds a castle of empty bottles. The addict, empty syringes and needles. I mean, you can, you can pick your poison and you can pick your, your vice or you can pick your falling, whatever it wants to be. And we can look and see people who build out of all sorts of kinds of things. And I want to ask the question, what noble purpose does it serve for you to build a castle of empty bottles? What noble purpose could it possibly serve for you to build yourself a fortress of isolation? I mean, some, some, sometimes people are, are so walled up that their spouse and their children can't even get near them. And, and you know why that is? It's because whether you like it or not, you will always be a builder. And the question is, what you building? What you building? I guess it comes down to this. We build for the Lord or we build for self-preservation. We either build for the Lord, or we build for self-preservation. More often than not, buildings for self-preservation will have destruction in its end. Always. And I didn't, I didn't find the, the reference. Uh, Big Stephen would probably be able to throw it out because he's an amazing Bible scholar. Pastor Amy could probably throw it at me. But if you just Google the holiest Bible search that there is, I'm <laughs> just kidding, but it is actually fairly, fairly good. Um, just Google the Tower of Shechem, S-H-E-C-H-E-M. Just, just Google it and read the story. It's, I think it's in one of the Book of Kings. Amy will, Amy will have it up. They'll correct whatever I said wrong. Um, we are building no matter what. We're building something of eternal value versus something of temporal value. And really, those are the two options. As far as I can tell, in everything that I know, feel, and understand, you have, you, you, you're, you're going to build something no matter what. No matter who you are, you're going to build because you're called to it, you're designed by God for it. And so the question then is, what you build? And, and are you building something eternal or are you building something temporal or something carnal? Are you building something that will simply pass away? Now, in fairness, I want to I I note this for you, that building something temporal or something in the carnal realm is not necessarily a bad or wrong thing because there are many carnal or temporal things that serve the ultimate purposes of God in the end. And so it's, it's totally normal that we would build a church building, for instance, so we have a place to meet, Although the church building is temporal, it will pass away. It means nothing in the light of eternity other than how God wants to use it for the sake of eternity. Do you understand where the value is here? The value isn't in the temporal thing, but in the eternal thing. Jesus said it this way to all the religious people standing around him. You're fools. He actually said it. You're fools because you swear by the gold in the temple and you fail to realize it's the temple that's making the gold holy. Jesus was saying to them in that moment, you're foolish because you're forsaking that which is eternal for that which is temporal. You're forsaking that which is godly for that which is carnal. And you're not understanding where the true value comes from. Church, you've got to understand this in the very core of who you are. Your value is of an eternal nature to the eternal God who created you. 
And this is why the scripture can command us, it command us to rejoice in various trials, persecutions, and sufferings. Because it will produce, the Bible says it will produce a future weight of glory. And we're not going to understand how that works because we're stuck in the temporal, we're stuck in the carnal, and it is prophesying and promising something to our eternal future, which we will obviously not realize until we leave this temporal time zone. All right? You with me still? You're really quiet. For a bunch of white people, you are, ex- I mean, you're more quiet than ever today. My goodness. Really quiet. That's okay. I'll just, I'll just close my eyes and keep going. So we're building something eternal versus something temporal. Temporal. Um, churches, buildings, businesses, people. All of these things will have an end. The question is, do they serve an eternal purpose? Because if they do, they have an eternal value. So once again, let me, let me sum up for you as Inigo Montoya would have said in The Princess Bride. Let me sum It's too long. Let me sum up. Okay? <laughs> you can build things that will pass away, and you can build things that are eternal. The things that are eternal will always be things that are eternal because that's the nature of the eternal. But the things that are temporal, the things that are carnal, the things that we build for seasons that will pass away can be for hell or for heaven. What you building? What you building? What eternal purpose is it serving? Now, I want to be careful because I could lead you to believe that you can't do anything or build anything unless you first understand its eternal purpose. And God help us if we end up in that mindset. I know some of you who will sit there spinning your wheels for the next 45 years of your life trying to decide if it's eternal enough in its value to do it. So this is why we boil it back down at Generations Church to, hey, just do the next right thing. Right? That's, that's actually really profound wisdom if you just would follow through on that. Trust me. Just, just do the next right thing. Uh, be led of the Holy Spirit. Read your Bible. Seek wise counsel from pastors and leaders in your lives. Be in community because the Word of God was given to community to be interpreted in community. Not alone in a cave somewhere like a monk who hits himself in the face with a board. You see, you see the problem with some of the methodologies over the years, right? And... Um, I want you to understand that, that everything will have some sort of value in the end. But there are things that are going to matter for a short time and things that are going to matter for eternity. And the things that matter for a short time, I sure hope they have an impact on eternity. Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, and it just Jesus speaking, therefore anyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them. Very important. Anyone who hears and then... Okay, only three of you understand this. Anyone who hears and then... Acts on them. See, Jesus is not asking you only to be a hearer of the word according to the book of James, but an effectual doer of what you heard. It's not enough just to hear, because hearing falls to the side of ideology and philosophy. Doing falls into the category of reality. When you actually do something with what you've heard. So therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, this is so great when Jesus says this about you, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on a rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and yet it did not fall. Someone say did not fall. It did not fall for it had been founded on the, everyone say it together, the rock. Weak. I gotta say, it's a little weak, guys. Come on. 
everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them. Listen up, ideologists and philosophers. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell and great was its fall. Now I know that many of you went to Sunday school and you even know the tune. Did you know like this, the tune to this Sunday school song that some of us learned as kids? The wise man built his house upon the rock. Okay, some of you immediately started humming. You're like the Mormons sing that song in their Sunday schools. This song has proliferated every culture on the face of the earth. And yet we still have seven and a half billion people who seem to be clueless when it comes to anyone who hears these words of mine and actually does what I say. You you understand what I'm saying to you? Listen, there's a fine line between building things that are worthwhile and things that are not. And it's actually a very coarse line to see whether we are building on the rock who is Jesus or whether we are building on sand. And almost anywhere you see the word rock in Scripture, you're going to be okay. You're going to be onside if you see the word rock and associate it with Jesus. Even in the Old Testament. When you read the word rock, you're going to think... Okay, stop. Let me just stop. All right, put on your listening ears. Come on, put them on. Sam, put your listening ears on. There you go. Come on, Keegan, Casey, let's go. Listen good now. Every time you see the word rock in Scripture, you're not going to be offside to say, oh, this probably has something to do with. So when you see rock, you should think, Jesus. This is right. This is Bible study 101, guys. It's actually not all that complicated as long as you remain teachable. Listen, the the minute your opinionations become bigger than what you are actually reading, you are now a religious person who won't stay in this church very long. That's just the way it is. All right? True, true story? Elders, true story? True story. It's written in the history of our church, right? So <laughs> I'm not taking a shot at anyone. Let me be clear. I love people. I, you know I love people, right? Okay, elders, make sure you tell our church that I love people. This wrinkle in my brow, it's genetic. It's not because I'm angry. Um, so so just, just to understand, everything that we build because we're builders is going to be safe to build if we build it on the rock who is Christ Jesus. Everything that we build that is not on the rock then is built on what? What's built on sand? Am I exegeting that passage of Scripture according to Dr. Feller from my exegesis class in Bible college? No, he would say you're not exegeting it properly, but I'm not trying to. I'm trying to draw one point to another point, which is what the Bible does 65,000 different times in its writing from beginning to end, by the way. 65,000 different cross-references in the Bible. Let me say it again, because you're not in awe enough. 65,000 cross-references. Yeah, that's a little better, even if you're faking it. That's that's amazing. It's amazing. How do you fake that? Well, it's just a bunch of guys who got together and wrote a book so they could control mankind. Okay, whatever. Um, If you build on Jesus, you build on the rock, listen, you're probably going to be okay. If you don't build on Jesus, you're going to build something that will fall, and great will be its fall. And it's a fine line sometimes to understand the difference. But when it comes down to our heart and where we know we stand, my fear doesn't stand a chance when I, what? 
But when I'm standing in your love, when I'm standing on the rock, I am standing on the rock. See, that's why Hebrews says, we therefore have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Because we're standing on the rock, who is Jesus Christ. And when we build on that rock that we are standing on, we are building something that will have eternal merit and eternal value because Jesus is born from days long ago, long before time, from days of eternity, the book of John says. The course line, the easy line, should be for us to see whether or not we're actually doing it. The reason that people build on poor foundations, please hear this with love from me, a lot of love. Like, uh, Just close your eyes right now and envision me giving you a great big hug as I say this. Everybody, come on, do it. Terry, come on, just close your eyes. Imagine just a big, warm, slightly sweaty hug. A little moistness on my cheek rubbing against your ear. It's very, this is very vivid, very vivid vision Terry is having now. Okay, my breath smells of, of coffee and an apple, which is a weird combination, I know. And you can't help but think to yourself, Amy is one lucky girl. As I'm hugging you. Not in a, not in a gross way in the general phileo love kind of way. Now, as I'm saying that to you, now listen, church, let me say this to you. The reason people build on poor foundations or build on sound is not because their intentions are evil. It's because they're lazy. The, the reason you build on crappy foundations, it's not because your intentions are bad. It's not because you're necessarily innately evil. It's actually because you're lazy. And you don't want to do the hard work of building on a rock. Because it's hard to build on a rock. Rocks aren't even. They have to be hewn to become even. They have to be shaped. Rocks are really, really heavy. Like, just a little, I got time. Even if I don't, I'm going to take the time. Once upon a time, I did well for myself on a few projects, buying and selling things. And I was blessed with the opportunity to buy a riverboat for my family. A cheap riverboat. Not like, not like a $100,000 unit like some people get to ride. Mine was about an $8,000 unit, okay? And it was grossly underpowered for our family of six. But nonetheless, we enjoyed taking that boat out on the river and fishing and doing the things you can do in a, in a little riverboat. And um, we were in the days of our carriage lane house, nice big house that I built. And my wife loved her life. And she didn't worry about flies. And she didn't worry about chickens and dogs and all the things. Life was, it, was a, it was a fairy tale stage of life for her. But this is what we lived with in those days. She, she says, what we need for our front yard, babe, we need some big rocks. And I'm like, oh, great, she wants big rocks. I'm like, okay, well, we'll go out to the farm, and we'll get some field stones. And we went out and, you know, little field stones that when I was five years old, you know, a 30-pound rock was an impossible feat, but we did it somehow because we were a lot tougher back then than kids are these days. Sorry for your luck, Ryan. Um, <clears throat> But we were. We're way tougher when I was a kid than when Ryan's a kid. It's just how it is. We were way, way tougher. So prove me wrong. I welcome it. I'd love, I would love for a generation to prove us wrong, guys, right now. We need it. So we got, generation, we need you so badly to prove this world wrong. Because they're writing you off. They're saying they can't even lift a little rock from a field. And I'm, I'm going to wager that you guys are going to lift nations. You're going to lift communities. But you, listen, it's hard. It's so hard, and it's so heavy, but I believe in you.
I believe in you. I believe in this church. I believe in what God has called us to, what God's called you to. So anyways, Pastor Amy, back then in her immaturity, said, well, I don't want those rocks. I want some bigger rocks. And so she pointed out an example to me of a rock. And I'm like, okay, woman, first of all, we'd have to get an excavator to move that rock. No, there's no way. In In such a sweet, kind voice. No, no, there's no way. We wouldn't have to do that. It's just a little rock. It's the size of a Volkswagen. It's the size of a Volkswagen Beetle, wife. It can't be that heavy. Her next solution was that we would take our riverboat down to the river and go to the riverbank somewhere and load those kinds of rocks into the boat, float them back home, load the boat onto a trailer, then bring these gigantic rocks to our house to unload them so she would have nice big rocks in the front yard garden. See, back then, my wife didn't understand how heavy a rock was. And listen, I'm, I, I want us to laugh about it, but I need you to hear, hear, hear the problem this creates for us in our real lives. I could stand here and preach you, and you'll all agree, yeah, we should build our lives on the rock who is Jesus. That's brilliant. Pastor Trav, you really preached a good word today, but don't forget that Jesus said, he who hears these words of mine and then acts on them. And not hears these words of mine, but hears his word for your life and what's being said here. See, the problem is, is we're actually kind of lazy, and it's just a lot of work to build on a rock. It is a troublesome thing to move it, to hew it, to place it. And even if you don't have to, maybe you're lucky and you're in the mountains and there's a big granite piece of granite mountain that you get to build off of. You still have to build everything around that and to that, and you have to deal with all of the the difficulties it creates. But what you will have in the end when you build on a rock is a foundation that cannot be moved. And as it turns out, the foundation is the most important building material in any project. By a long shot. It doesn't matter how much concrete you pour, it will crack and break and become destroyed if it's not sitting on a great foundation. Steel will bend under its own weight over time if it doesn't have an appropriate foundation. We do not have something in this world that can be built without foundation. And God designed it that way. That everything needs a foundation. I just... uh, I just got to have our little land update in the middle of this. So I just got to have our first meeting with a building designer and engineering firm just to start talking about concept of building and, and all these exciting things. It's, it's really, it was a fun meeting. Do you want to know what, what were we there, an hour and a half about in the end? Do you want to know what we spent 90% of our hour and a half talking about? The ground that the building would be built on. Why? Because the foundation is the most important thing. The foundation is by far the most important consideration in any project, in anything you build in your life. You can take this businessman who are just going to build something temporal that may serve the kingdom, or maybe it's just going to serve yourself. You would still be wise to heed the word of God here and understand that you've got to build it on the rock, not on the sand, because the fall will be great when the foundation can't support the weight Now just take this to the next step. What if God still blesses you and you've built something now with him, for him, the grandness of everything he wanted to be, but your foundation is crap? That can't happen, Pastor Trev. It happens all the times in churches and ministries all over the place because the foundation was no good. 
Foundations matter more than any, mater- any other material in a build. Isaiah 28, 16 says, Therefore, this, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying as in Zion a stone, a tested stone. Now listen to these words. A costly cornerstone. For the foundation firmly placed, he who believes in it will not be disturbed. Isaiah 28 is prophesying, of course, to the future coming of Jesus in the flesh, the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the reality of building. If God himself spared no expense on the foundation of the church, and make no mistake, God sent his son Jesus, yes, to restore mankind to himself, but on that to build the church. If he spared no expense in the foundation of the church, and Jesus is the foundation and the head of the church, then why would we think to build on anything less than that? Do you understand why China Do you understand why China can't destroy Christianity no matter how many Bibles they burn, no matter how many pastors they throw in prison? Because the church is built on a rock. And it has an unshakable, unmovable, unsinkable foundation. And you might knock some of the stones out of the wall, but the rest of the stones will rally and in time build that back up again. For the impatient, for the short-sighted, for the selfish, the foolish ones who want to build, the foundation becomes a frustrating stone because it's unshapeable, it's so resistant to any change. And it's aligned in a way that you have no choice but to build according to how it's aligned. Have you ever, anybody ever built anything before you? Have you ever poured a footing? You know, you build your forms, you pour the footing, that's the part that goes under your, under your, your basement wall, or even if you're doing slab on grade, you still do a footing. Do you, you understand what happens once that footing is there? Like, you're committed right? Don't, don't listen to what some home builders will tell you. You're committed. I was trying to think of which home builder I wanted to make fun of, and I decided not to make fun of any of them today. I feel like it was a wise decision just now, right? But once that foundation is poured, you're committed to the alignment of that foundation. You, you don't get to say, well, I'm going to make a change here, and I'm just going to hang off the edge a couple of feet. It won't matter. It will matter. Right, Brad Walter? It will matter a lot, Because everything that gets built from that cornerstone, from that foundation, has to stay in alignment with the foundation if it's going to be successful in completing itself to construction or to the end of construction. It has no choice. And that's why foundations are hard for lazy or impatient people because they dictate the path by which we're going to go forward. And we're married to it once we start in on that. There is no going back from it. And this is how Jesus became what he became to the Jewish people and what he becomes to religious thinking people still today who don't want to bend their will to the Holy Spirit. I lay in Zion a tested stone, a costly stone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes it will not be disturbed. I think it's worth noting that verse 17 goes on to say that justice and righteousness are the line and the level from which we build from that cornerstone. Righteous acts, just acts, attitudes, the things we do, the way we live are going to matter as we build in terms of keeping us in alignment with that cornerstone, right? Um, 
So yeah, you can have the greatest foundation, but if you build off of it instead of on it, you're, well, you know what's going to happen. And if you don't, I recommend you talk to the guys over at Deep Root because they can help you understand. Because, Brad, you're in church today. Your company gets the plug. See how I did that? I turned a shot into a blessing. Huh? Yeah, nice. Oh, boy. God help me. Um, so it's, it's in the design of God's economy for how we operate in this world. Listen. He requires that we deal with the expense and the reality of that foundation. See, God, actually, God actually requires that you and I deal with Jesus being the cornerstone. For everything we build, for our lives, for how we come to him, for how we should be coming to church, for everything, Jesus is the cornerstone on which we must stumble. I didn't know we had to stumble on the cornerstone. I didn't know that was God's reality. Well, 1 Peter 2, 6 8 says, For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Remember, I told you already, whenever you see the word rock, I want you to think Jesus. And it doesn't really work well with modern Christianity and its philosophy and ideology that Jesus is an offensive personality. But let me promise you, according to Scripture, Jesus was an offensive personality. Not that he was unkind, because the book of Psalms reminds us that God is righteous in all he does, but he's also kind in all his works. So Jesus was right and kind, and he was just and loving, but he was also unbending in terms of obedience to the will of the Father. And that's how you and I ought to be, but we can't be that without our friend, the Holy Spirit, being in our lives, teaching us at every moment. This is why it all has to work together, okay? And, and so, listen, um, I don't remember if I read the whole thing. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, for, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and this doom, to this doom they were also appointed. See, God wants us to stumble over Jesus as we build, as we, and as we come to the place of repentance, as we come to the place of a relationship with God, we have to stumble over the, the reality of Jesus' words and teaching, have to offend our sinful nature and bring us to a place where we say, I actually hate my sinful nature. It's offended by Jesus, and I'm going to, rather than be offended with my sin nature against Jesus, I'm going to let my sin nature be offended, and I'm going to leave it there, and I'm going to come over to Jesus. That's what happened to the prodigal son, right? He, he, was, he was one day feeding somebody's pigs because he had, he had blown his inheritance. And he realized that his offense with his father was not going to work out well for him to continue maintaining it. So he said, well, maybe I should just go back there and get hired on. Surely it's better than feeding pigs. Hopefully you know the rest of the story. We're teasing about the prodigal son because Big Stephen came back to church today. He wasn't gone from church. He just moved away and now moved back, to be clear. And we're so, we're so excited that you're back, Stephen. So happy to have you. Um, God wants you to stumble over Jesus as you come to him. And Jesus wants you to stumble over, God wants you to stumble over Jesus every day as you become more like him. And God wants you to stumble over Jesus every day as your sin nature becomes diminished and your spirit nature becomes enlightened and strengthened to be more like Christ every step of the way. Because stumbling over Jesus produces obedience to God. 
It, it just does. It, it, I don't know how else to say this. Stumbling over Jesus produces obedience to the Word of God in the believer. And you know what obedience does? Obedience produces right actions. And right actions will produce great works. That's how it works. That's how it's laid out. Jesus had to come because we were already incapable of becoming the builders that God wanted us to be. But in him, we receive the ability to be all that God has called us to become, which is a builder of all the things pertaining to God's vision for our lives. So it has to start with the acknowledgement of Jesus. Worship team, please come back. Jesus had to come because we were incapable of becoming the builders that God wanted us to be. And let me just point that out. Moses brought the law. They had judges interpret that law and work with people. They finally moved to a system of kings and things didn't get any better, not really. See, they had all the systems, they had all the actions, they did what all the other nations were doing, but somehow it didn't make them any more obedient to God. It didn't make them any better at being the chosen people. Because they were incapable of it. In fact, the Bible teaches that the law came to teach them that they were incapable of keeping the very law that came to teach them that. It's like a, it's like a I don't, what do you call it? It's like a point that also makes a point that makes a point. I have no, somebody invent a term for that, please. It's a point that makes a point that makes a point. It just says it again and again and again to us all through Scripture. But when Jesus came and died for our sin, took our punishment on himself at the cross, and made it possible for us to approach the throne of grace with confidence. When he made all that possible for us, everything changed in such a beautiful and amazing way. But I want to tell you this, my friends, today, that it has to start with an acknowledgement of Jesus. And wherever you're at today, in whatever situation you find yourself, no matter how long you've been a Christian or how long you've been a closet, not really a Christian, but just show up at church hoping nobody notices, Whatever your situation might be, today, it needs to start with Jesus. Just like every single day of my life needs to start with Jesus. It has to. I don't have any other option. He's the cornerstone. It has to stay in alignment with him because my life has to be aligned with the vision. God, does that make me perfect? No, that's not what makes me perfect. I'm being made perfect. I'm a long ways away. We confuse so many things with perfection. Somehow we confuse worthiness with perfection. Can I just tell you this morning that you're worthy because God made you worthy of his love, and of his grace, of his acceptance. And the only condition is that you come to him through Jesus. That cornerstone, that stumbling block, that rock of offense Acts 4, 11, and 12 says, He is the stone which was rejected but you the build, by you the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. That's it. As far as Scripture is concerned, the case has been closed forever. 
There is no misinterpreting. There is no reinterpreting of Scripture. Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. There is no other name under heaven that will save you. When you stand before God one day, my friend, if the name of Jesus is not written on you, I'm not exactly sure how it's going to work out for you. But all you needed to do was come through Jesus. That was it. All you needed to do was come through Jesus. You are designed to build. And you will build all of your life long. Whether for good, whether for bad. On the rock or on the sand, you're going to build. And it's okay if to this point in your walk with Jesus even that you realize that you were just a five-year-old kid playing on a beach making sandcastles. And do you remember that when you were a kid and you built a sandcastle and somebody kicked it over or the waves came up and washed it, knocked it down? Or you just had all your fun was based in doing that exact thing, building it to tear it down, whatever it was. I want you to know that it's okay to be childish when we're children. But can you just hear me be your pastor this morning and tell you that at some point in time, you're going to start growing up. And at some point in time, you're going to realize that building sandcastles is not the same thing as building anything else in your life. And that doesn't mean it was wrong to build the sandcastle. It doesn't mean that it wasn't fun. It doesn't mean that it wasn't a great part of your growing up and your imagination and all those things. It can be wonderful. In fact, maybe God even told you to build that amazing sandcastle on the beach. That's great. But at some point in time, we shift gears and start to realize we're building something that matters. And I hope that you do it with the enthusiasm of a five-year-old on a beach. I hope you do it with the energy of a five-year-old on a beach. But I hope you do it with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit who guides you to build on the rock who is Jesus. So I want to invite you this morning. I want to challenge you to weigh your life against a couple of questions. Here's the questions. What you building? Like, really, what are you building? The, the sad reality is some of you don't even know right now. But I'm telling you, you're building something. And it's either for God or it's for your gods. I don't think you want to build for something that's not the Lord of your life. I don't believe that about you. But if it's happening, we got to ask the question today, and we got to deal with Jesus on it. My second question is, what are you building on? What are you building? Now, what are you building on? Some of you have been trying to build your marriage on sand. That's why it's not working. Some of you are trying to build a business on sand. 
just hear this. Somebody in this room maybe needs to hear this today. Right now you're feeling condemnation. You're going, oh man, you're right, Pastor. I'm building on sand. Stop for a second. Dig down. Because under that sand, you just might find solid rock. Don't be discouraged by this. Don't be set back by what the Spirit of God is trying to say. You lean in and let him, let him teach you. Let him show you what he has for you. Because maybe just a foot lower, there is a solid rock that you will find and you will have the foundation that you need to build on. Don't get foolish and emotional. Get wise and holy. My last question for you is, who will you build for? And I'm going to remind you and leave you with this. Isaiah 66, 1, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. But where, God speaking, but where is the house that you will build for me? And where is the place that I might rest? What an insanely awesome privilege it is to be a habitation for Jesus. So how do you do this? How do you get back to building on the rock? Well, you put your faith in him. You believe on the rock. You believe in Jesus. And I don't know if we always do a great job of explaining it, so this morning I'm going to take an extra 45 seconds to try to do it. <laughs> 45 seconds to tell you all about Jesus. It feels, honestly, it feels futile. You need to believe in Jesus. You need to believe the truth that he is the Son of God that he is God incarnate, that God became flesh and dwelt among us so he could take our physical sin to the physical cross to do an eternal miracle for us. Third thing, I believe you must believe that Jesus died and was raised to life. Then you need to put your faith in that Jesus because it's an unshakable kingdom built on an immovable rock full of alignment full of righteousness full of vision full of hope full of miracles full of life guys I cannot see ear cannot hear what God has in store for us put our faith in Jesus who believe on him, who believe in him, who live and move and have our being in him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you sent your son, Jesus, that you begat him. You took a part of yourself and formed it into an earthly being. So that he could, in a perfect way, carry our imperfection and pay a price of death for our sin. Lord, I thank you that on the third day you raised him back to life. And that he lived and walked with his disciples for many days, that he ate meals with them, that he taught them. Father, I thank you that when he ascended to heaven, he left us our friend, the Holy Spirit, who guides us into all truth, who brings to remembrance everything that Jesus taught. And he's with us still now. Lord, I thank you for your presence today that bears witness in our hearts to the reality of who you are and what you want to do. And Father, I pray for each person that's gathered here this morning that might be watching online, that as we ask those three questions today, Holy Spirit, that you would fall on us with a holy conviction and a holy encouragement to be 
doers of what Jesus says. Amen. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.